Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. My name is Hayes Carl. I'm from Houston, Texas. I currently reside in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am trying to be a singer-songwriter. When you've put out, you know, almost, what, 10 albums like you have at this point, is there a sense of dread or a sense of excitement when it's coming upon release day? Like, is there the fear that you're shouting in a forest and not enough people will hear you, or is it the gratitude that you can finally tell these stories and people will experience them. Yeah, it's both. It's both. And and <clears throat> that's part of the that's part of the challenge for me is I don't know, on one hand I've got this thing I'm very proud of and I I, I want to put out into the world and it's exciting. I, you know, a record can not only is it work that I want to share with people, but it affects your life. It affects your career potentially for the better or the worse. And there's, there's an excitement to that, uh, to see how the world embraces it uh, or if they even notice. Uh, so I'm just, I'm excited to share music, but then there's the part of it that is, yeah, is anybody going to notice, uh, you know, am I, am I worthy? Uh, so I try to stay out of that and just, just be grateful for what I've got. I drove all the way to Tennessee to keep from looking at you. Constantly reminded of the damage love can do. Amped up like a junkie, praying for a little sleep. I tried every kind of medicine to purge you from my bloodstream. Well, hey, everybody. Once again, you are tuned in to the show on the road. I'm Zach Lupitin, your humble audio scribe spirit guide, and I'm going to take you on a little ride with Mr. Hayes Carl today, if that's okay. Look, there's a lot of great music that comes out every year. Some songs just imprint themselves onto your brainstem, and you remember exactly where you were when you heard it the first time. Me and Hayes, we both share a common hero in Lucinda Williams. I remember the first time I heard her singing Righteously. I was driving my car back in my hometown of Evanston, Illinois. I actually pulled over and called the radio station. It's the only time I've ever done this, and I said, Who is this voice? And if you haven't heard of Hayes Carl and his atmospheric country blues until this very moment, well, it is my job to inject just the right amount of his essence into your eardrums right now. Of course, unlike me, many of you wise souls may already have been listening to Hayes Carl all along. Indeed, next year marks the 20th anniversary of his first independent release, Flowers and Liquor. Back then, he was just a struggling college student in Arkansas, working at Chili's, hoping for a better life. Now let's stop and think for a second. How many folks working at Chili's, maybe working at Red Lobster like he did later on, are actually songwriters in disguise? Personally, instead of being drafted into the army, I think every American should work at least one long night at a food service job. I used to work the 5 p.m. to 4 a.m. shift at New York Pizza Depot in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and every night I would start to feel the atmosphere of the world change about 3 a.m. 
and it was walking in exhaustion through those foggy streets at about 4.30 a.m. that the best songs started hitting my brain. Does anyone feel like time has been moving differently in the last few years? Honestly, 2002, it doesn't seem like that long ago. And yet our minds were completely occupied by other things. We only spent 46 minutes a day on average on the internet. And if you wanted to buy music online, it took 12 and a half minutes to download a single song on a 56k modem. And yes, many things have changed in those 20 years. But through his earliest records, Flower and Liquor, Little Rock, Trouble and Mine, K-Mag Yo-Yo, Lovers and Leavers, What It Is, Alone Together, and You Get It All, his newest which came out this year, you can see him as a writer and a lover of country music and a deeply observant student of the human condition, getting better and better at his craft. And while some Grammy-nominated artists may bring their wives into the studio for a cute cameo now and again, Carl is lucky enough to have an artist and very sought-after producer Allison Moorer on his home team. I think she really helped bring a softer, deeper side out of Carl for this newest record, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. Anyway, thanks for listening as always. Uh, December 4th, my group Dust Bowl Revival will be playing the Troubadour in LA. It's almost sold out, but without further ado, here he is now, Hayes Carl. I've only just started to dive into your work over the last month or so, believe it or not. And I've toured with my own band <laughs> for 10 years in this same field. And I've seen your name all over the place, but it was always like, well, you know, it's a, it's another guy from Texas kind of writing these really intense, you know, dark songs. And I hear it on the radio and I just never jumped in. And now I'm like kind of obsessed. Like it took me, <laughs> up until this week to finally get into uh, some of your earliest work because you put out records, you know, in 2002. I mean, my first one was Flowers and Liquor in 2002. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. 2002. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's like a different generation, it feels like. And that was one of the first self-produced records that went to the number one and on the Americana chart. And that's like something that is inspiring, I think, for a lot of songwriters like myself. This guy did it. And why not me? You know? How do you feel like you've changed as a songwriter from that first record to now? Well, first of all, that's that's really cool to hear you say that. And, and um, I appreciate that. It's funny how fast time goes because I, I remember that kid who just the idea of being able to record my voice and my songs and something I created was the ultimate dream fantasy. You're making money, honey. You're going to be a star. I lie around all day and play guitar. It's okay, it's okay. Everything gonna be alright. I make breakfast every morning. Sing you lullabies at night. Then for it to have any sort of success or to be able to make a career out of it was was you know just beyond at that point in my life what i really thought was possible so um it's funny to look back you know i guess almost 20 years now um and see the road that that has that i've traveled um you know trying to i remember trying to first of all i was just inspired by music uh it, it just the the joy that brought me and the way that it articulated my life 
it, 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 it helped me figure things out. It, it sold me. It just was everything to me. And so I just wanted to be a part of that. And, and so what I did was just studied the people I enjoyed. So I was just studying the Prines and the Dillons and the Christoffersons and the Lyle Lovett and the, um, the Kenny Rogers and the Jimmy Buffett and whatever the list. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on. But it sort of veered towards singer songwriters because I had limitations vocally. It was sort of influenced by my limitations and also what I loved. But I, you know, I love Led Zeppelin, but I was never going to be Robert Plant. So it's like, okay, let's lean into, you know, John Prine. That seems achievable. Maybe not the songwriting part, but like some approximation of a, a folk singer. So I studied their stuff and I started off trying to write, I think, like Towns Van Zandt. And I realized that I'm not Towns Van Zandt. It took me a minute <laughs> and never will be. Thank and God. You're still alive. I'm still alive and uh, um, and I have a, a pretty happy life. And um, but, you know, that that music meant so much to me. I wanted to be a part of it. And then I just it took me a while to figure out that the only thing that made me unique were the things that made me unique. And I needed to lean into those rather than try to be my heroes. Close your eyes. I'll be here in the morning. Close your eyes. I'll be here for a while. So that was the first big step was just finding my own voice and my own point of view and feeling confident enough to to put that out there. Um, and then I went through a long stage where uh, it was just all about stream of conscious for me or connecting, just grabbing an idea, catching lightning in a bottle. And, um, and which is how I thought Dylan did it or how Kerouac did it. And I just thought it was about, you know, drugs and drinking and, and capture this idea. And if I didn't get it in one swoop, I often just gave it up. It just didn't get done. And and that wasn't always the case, but I mean, there were times where I sat down and spent a lot of time and effort on a song, but I, I was really just looking for that easy thing. And I had a little bit of aptitude and it would happen every once in a while. I'd get lucky, um, but it was not a sustainable thing. And, and my focus wasn't really on the craft. And I think the change, the biggest change in the last couple of years for me has been the interest in the craft. Uh, to me, that's the most fun part now. And I know going into a song that it's not gonna be right the first time, that it's gonna make, it's gonna take editing, it's gonna take reworking, it's gonna take recording it and, and deciphering it and shaping it um, to be something that holds up and isn't dependent on my inflections or my vocal tone or the style of recording that anybody can take the song and and do something with it and uh, uh so that that's been the biggest evolution for me at least uh, certainly of late it's interesting that you mentioned john prine and jimmy buffett those are two songwriters that you wouldn't normally hear connected but it actually works i think for your songwriting because of the humor that you have in a lot of your songs the grin behind the like tears i mean look the the opening track of the new <laughs> the new record nice things man there's a lot going on there your very pinpoint observational skills are there god came down to earth and to enjoy what she created took a fishing trip to georgia to see what she could see but also you have the knack for a pop hook right that maybe took till now to really just embrace you know it's like all these things that this 
God who's a lady coming back to Earth, just how hypocritical and <laughs> violent and crazy we are as human beings with free will. And then <laughs> realizing like, well, we can sum it up in one little tidy line. Y'all can't have nice things. We can't have nice things. Is it going to be a pop hit? Probably not. But like, why is Margaritaville a pop hit, right? Yeah. It's like it's like a very melancholy song, Margaritaville, if you think about it. I mean, I, I consider Buffett and Prine, it is the humor element. And that's a big that's a big turn on for me as a as a listener. I, I, I've always appreciated, you know, from Roger Miller to Todd Snyder or uh, or you know even Dylan or the Stones. There's a lot of people that work humor into their stuff subversively or just outright. Um, but uh, uh, but to me, they're also storytellers. Um, you know, Jimmy Buffett at heart before he became a trillion dollar corporation. Uh, you know, he's a storyteller. And and he created, uh, and I mean he still is. I don't mean to disparage him, but he's he's it's 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 much beyond that now. But the those songs, particularly those early songs, created a time and a place, and they told stories of people traveling the world and of heartbreak and adventure. And it was to me that was magical as a teenager growing up in the suburbs. This idea of getting on a ship and going across the world and living in a life of adventure was sign me up you know i'm i'm <laughs> right i want i want that and um you know another one that's this big in that for me was really influential was was kenny rogers uh, you know again probably people don't a lot of folks don't cite him as an influence but uh i mean i was a fan i just loved the voice but the songs to me that was one of the first tapes i had was this greatest hits cassette and I was seven or eight and I would listen to these songs like The Gambler or Coward of the County or Lucille. And they had so much drama and, and they had everything. There were just many movies and some of them became movies. Um, and, and I loved that. I felt this range of emotions. But with those songs and particularly those Kenny ones, there was a hook. And it's I'm, I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, you know, writing a hook has never been really my strength. Like I, I, I tend to write verses. I kind of write like I talk. I spend a lot of details, take a lot of time, <laughs> and eventually get to my point. This is why, why, why. This is why y'all can't have nice things. Oh, this is why y'all can't have nice things. Well, you collaborated with a lot of interesting folks on this record. Um, that song, Nice Things, with the Brothers Osborne. And again, mm -hmm. that song uh, starts with the, the fiddle and the electric guitar. It could be on mainstream country radio at first, right? But when you have lines like, this is why I blessed you with compassion. This is why I gave you empathy, right? I don't hear lines like that or uh, ideas like that on, you know, Country 105 Dallas. You know, it's like, there's a lack of introspection or um, heart in a lot of the glossy modern country. And maybe that's why, you know, we're sort of 
put in this Americana world, you know, it's like more forward thinking, sensitive country music, but there's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, handholding in this song. It's pretty uh, <laughs> confrontational about just how messed up we are as humans, which is the best part of country music. It's like acknowledging mm -hmm. our faults, right? Um, do you find that you identify yourself as a country music songwriter or that you uh, kind of forge your own path? Well, both. I mean, I, I, I absolutely identify as a country musician and songwriter. It's, it's a huge part of my influences and, and, and my style. Um, but there's, I, I, maybe it goes beyond that in a little, a little bit. And that, um, there are other things that, that, like I said, I'm, I'm a big Zeppelin fan and, and Dylan is my, uh, you know, ultimate artist and songwriter and was sort of the, the person that opened up this world to me and, and made me aware of what an effect music could have, not just as, oh, that's fun to sing, but it can change the world. So uh, I, I tell people I'm a country folk singer songwriter, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a country, it's the most country record I've ever made. And, and I wrote a lot of it with a lot of country artists like Brothers Osborne or Brandy Clark. And yeah, it's, it's probably not gonna get on the radio, but I don't think that's because it's not country. I just think it's, it's you know, there's a formula to a lot of that stuff. And it's really hard to, to get, on the radio if you're not in that if you're not doing that stuff so like i i tried to get some of this pitched to country radio and what they told me was it's a waste of your money and it costs a lot of money to to pitch songs to actual country radio i've never done it before i was curious i said why why you know why can't you get it all be on the radio that's to me a pretty great country song and they said well there's nothing else like it out there and i thought exactly like that's exactly <laughs> right. why this should be the thing because rather than try and do the thing there's already a hundred of them you know it's going to be that thing that nobody's heard or that's not that's different than everything that's out there right now um that's going to break through in a big way at some point and that may not be me it may be you know somebody else but that was chris stapleton uh that was you know uh, uh jamie johnson before that or whatever there, there are these things that nobody in a million years would go oh this is this is the country radio formula and then somebody comes along and breaks the mold and then everybody says oh well, we need more of that we need more of that guy so anyway, that's it's that's a different world and one that I'm not really involved in. But I did look at this record and think this is a country record and and with country elements and country themes and and uh, written with a lot of country artists. And and I thought, why, why not give that a shot? And, and I was quickly told that um, that that's just not how it works. So I'm just going to I'm just going to put it out to whoever will listen and, and uh, hope, hope it finds an audience out there, regardless of genre. If we go back to your first record, Flowers and Liquor, in 2002, um, you have a song like Easy Come, Easy Go that I love that I think highlights, I think, your very specific skill of observing the tiny details of a changing world. You know, as maybe you're driving down the road, you see each story in each parking lot and each liquor store and each gas station, right? Do you remember where you were when you wrote that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was in college. Um, I was 21, living in my apartment with my Croatian roommate and best friend. 
in, uh, in Conway, Arkansas. And uh, I had a politics paper due the next day. And I stayed up all night trying to finish the paper. And I started that song and I wrote it. And in the morning I'd finished the song and the paper. I think the song's longer than the paper. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I certainly got a lot more mileage out of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I remember it very well. She'll be fine. Spent a lifetime walking through the walls of a broken home. Not a man around here still standing for the girl to call her own. Every time she tried to hold her, she just ended up alone. There's still time. There's still time. And it was one of the first songs. Maybe the third or fourth song that I ever finished that I played for somebody. And I remember a friend came over the next day and I said, hey, listen to this. And I played it and he's like, well, what happened there? And I said, well, I wrote it last night. He, he didn't believe me. And I, I took that as a good sign, you know, not to say that it's the end all be all of songs, but at that point in my life, uh, trying, completely uncertain whether I had any aptitude for this or, or ability, uh, to write something and 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 feel good about it and and um, it encouraged me that there was um, you know to get some positive feedback encouraged me uh, in a way that I needed to to say okay I, maybe I've got a little something that I can can use here so yeah I remember it well. There's a lot of people running around. Not quite sure which way to go. Remember your first official gig? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's different things that qualify as a, as a gig, you know, but um, there are two that come to mind. Both of them were in Conway. I went to college in, in Conway, Arkansas, just north of Little Rock. Uh, we had a beauty pageant, but it was for it was sort of tongue in cheek. It was it was for men in drag, the Miss Hendrix pageant, and so in a bunch of guys just yeah in Arkansas. We were we were a little oasis of hedonism and and drag dress. So I performed at that. I played No Woman No Cry. I thought that was fitting, and uh, that was my first performance. Was uh, a trio of No Woman No Cry by Bob Marley at a drag show in Conway, Arkansas. And then my my first performance where there was like, I there was an audience there um, to see somebody. I mean, they weren't there to see me, but I got a gig at a restaurant. My girlfriend at the time had a band uh, and her, her band had to cancel this gig at the Breakaway Cafe, I think it was called. And they asked if I could fill in. And so I just had a bunch of cover songs and I sat over there and people were eating their dinner and I played music for them. And it didn't go great, but you know, I got through it. And the next day, the drummer from the band that I filled in for came by the library and he brought me $5 and he handed me a $5 bill. And it was one of the proudest moments of my life. It was, <laughs> I, could, I could not believe that somebody was handing me money for, for the privilege of getting to play music. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't feel 
if, if somebody gave me five bucks for uh, a 90 minute set these days, I, I, I would not have the same appreciation. But uh, <laughs> at that point in my life, it was um, it was everything and, and uh, a really exciting moment for me. It's just easy companies go. It is amazing when you're in college or even younger and you start playing in bands and the concept of getting paid to play music has not even crossed your mind. It's just your love of getting together with your friends and making music mm -hmm. is just everything. You know, I remember we used to sneak into this rehearsal studio at the University of Michigan with our band called The Midnight Special. It was oh, like yeah. Blues rock, you know, sloppy. Frat I'm visualizing it. Yeah, I got it. And we figured out that you could jimmy the lock of the biggest rehearsal studio in the basement with uh, our ID cards. And our drummer just kept his drums in there and let anyone who wanted to play them <laughs> just play them. And we would play for hours and people mm -hmm. would gather like on the outside of the of the dorm and kind of watch us. And it felt like something important was happening, even though it was probably what, five or six people watching, but like yeah. people were gathering to like hear this jangly rock and roll. And we would play various places, the blind pig, you know, in Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. uh, but we played this like frat alumni event once. And we played for like five straight hours. Like, they just were like, keep, keep going, man. And we just mm -hmm. repeated our set like three times. Like they were yeah. so drunk, they didn't care. And I remember this, you know, 50s middle-aged guy who was like the alumni head just stood on the lawn at the end and just started peeling back $100 bills uh -huh. right? and gave us like $1,000. Yeah. And I was so confused. <laughs> I was like, you're giving me money? like when I'm 19 to play music with my friends, mm -hmm. like this is a thing that people do, <laughs> you know? And that's why like, it's, it's intoxicating once you start getting some sort of uh, standing in this world on, on the road. If a festival in Utah or somewhere else is going to pay you a good chunk of change to play your music under the stars, like, that is an amazing job that you get to do until it's not until no one shows up at a club in Cleveland or something. Right. And you know, the hotel's filled with drunks and bed bugs. But I think I wrestle with the idea of, is this life sustainable as, you know, we're all getting older as uh, I'm going to have a, a child in January. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's like, is this like a young man's fantasy or is this actually uh, something that people can continue doing? Yeah, I think it's both. It's absolutely a young person's game. And and you got to have that dream and that love and that passion to get through those years of sleeping on the floor and making five dollars and playing for a tip jar and having your shit get stolen and 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 having nobody come out like if if I did not absolutely love it there's no way i would have gone through that because if if it was if it wasn't an amazing experience then it was it would have been the worst thing someone could 
do in a lot of ways. Right. And you know, you're going to put me in a van and send me all over the country sleeping in my car or on the porches or or whatever shit hotel I can, you know, afford to play for four people who are, you know, often drunk and and get my stuff stolen and so all the negative, you know, be away from my family and and you know, uh, there's so many parts of it and you know not have a I, mean, I used to do 250 nights a year away from home Oof. and and that was it's hard to have a, a good marriage it's hard to be a good dad it's hard to have a community of friends uh it's hard to be sober and not be a total wreck um and there are people who successfully navigate that i, I wasn't necessarily one of them um but I, it was also my dream and I was as happy as could be in a lot of ways to be able to play music and to watch the growth of a career and, and people come out and, 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 and feel the growth of what I was doing as an artist and or feel like there was growth there. And that was incredible. Um, but there also was a point for me where, it's, okay, this is probably how I'm going to spend my life. And I think I'm cool with that. I mean, I certainly feel very lucky to have gotten to do it to this point. And I don't take it for granted, but I also need to get my head straight because I don't feel great. I don't feel healthy. I don't feel like I don't feel settled. I don't have a home life. I don't feel um, like this is how I'm going to do my next 20 years and and, and be happy with it. And um, uh, yeah, it just it, you just have to evolve and, and kind of like, what are your goals? And 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 uh and and creatively what are you trying to do and how do you put that out because that's another part of it i don't want to be singing the same songs in the same way in the same clubs uh my, my wife's also a musician and and she said in an interview the other day she she's kind of really scaled down on the touring and really almost doesn't play at all anymore and and she said I, i'm just tired of seeing the same dicks on the wall that i saw 25 years ago and you know as you know in these dressing rooms and these little rock clubs a bunch of people drawn genitalia because they think it's cool, you know, when they're 18 <laughs> or 22 or 25 or whatever. Uh, and uh, but then, you know, you come back 20 years later and you just want a decent bed and a, and a, and a meal that's not going to give you a heart attack or make you fat. And and uh, uh, just want to have a respectful audience and, and sing your songs. It's not about pounding a fifth of whiskey and and uh, adding to the graffiti and the noise. So. Um, it just, it just, to me, it's just about gratitude wherever you are on the journey. If it's when you're first starting out, be grateful for that experience. Or if it's trying to hang on, um, grateful with what you, for what you got and, um, but be realistic about it too, because, um, if your heart's not in it or you don't have your head straight, it'll, it'll eat you up. You have a song I think that speaks to all this off of your, uh, K-Mag Yo-Yo record. 2011 hard out here which made me laugh when that line came around uh you know mom told me to go into easy listening uh-huh. <laughs> but i like you know joined a rock and roll band because i thought it'd be cool but probably should have gone back to school <laughs> you know yeah the like lack of backup plan with a lot of us is is pretty out there in the open um i think that's the key for a lot of people is that lack of backup plan yeah. You know, it, we were talking about those early years. If I'd had a if I'd had a job that paid remotely close to six figures, I, I might have taken it. I mean, this was my passion and I was going to give it a shot in hell or high water. 
And I was very fortunate to be able to do that. But, you know, I was waiting tables at Chili's while my friends were buying houses. At a certain point, it's, it's you know, you have to question, am I on the right path here? But I didn't have any other option. I, you know, I was a terrible student. Uh, I couldn't, my grades were so low, I couldn't even get back into graduate school to, to try and get a teacher certificate or something, which to answer the question I think you were gonna ask is probably what I would have tried to do is be a, a, a teacher of some kind. So I really didn't have any options. So I thought, no, I, I, do I love this, but I, I better make it work. Otherwise it's not, it's not looking good for me, <laughs> you know, so. must be something I'm missing. My mama told me I should have gone into easy listening. Joined up with a band cause I thought it was cool. Oh, probably should have just gone back to school. Oh, pretty darling, it'll be okay. You know, one of these days I'm gonna take you away. She said, oh, sweet daddy, you're probably right. You know, in my That, that was really helped drive me um, and get through some of those tough times because I knew it beat, it beat, you know, my table waiting gig or my ditch digging gig or my medical test patient gig or my house painting gig or, you know, all, all these things that, that uh, um, didn't have a, a, a much of a, a future for me as far as doing something that, that, that I was going to be really happy with. How are those baby back ribs at Chili's? I'm not sure I ever had them. Uh, to be honest, it's it's uh, what? Um, yeah. I, I, maybe that's blasphemy of some kind to, <laughs> to to work there and not know. I don't know. I worked at I went to Red Lobster the other day because I used to work at Red Lobster as well, and I hadn't eaten there in 20 years. And and I took the band and kind of as a joke. I just thought it'd be funny. We'll go to Red Lobster. It was awesome. We actually had a great time, and the food was delicious. <laughs> But I worked at a bunch of seafood restaurants and and uh, uh, Chili's, Bennigan's, and Red Lobster and Landry's were the the four chains that I worked at. And um, with I tended bar and just all kind of stuff. And it, you know, it's fun. That's this life. Uh, you, you you know you you kick around and and do whatever you can do to get by. And and um, uh, I just feel very fortunate that I I was able to take the thing that I loved and and turn it into something. I think you make a good point in that it's kind of sometimes accidental twists of fate that put us into this life, right? Mm -hmm. You know, people are like, oh, you know, you're out there making music as your life, like how courageous and cool, right? But if I wasn't laid off from the advertising job I had in LA when I first got out here, would I have actually taken that chance? Probably not. Yeah. You know? Like, I'm not like a risk. I'm like, I'm a risk taking person within reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
I don't know if I would have taken that chance. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, but you know, I think the, sometimes the sink or swim situation is really like an important thing for folks. And it's key. Yeah. I mean, it's the difference between being a hobbyist and, and, and being a lifer because most people on this, I mean, there's, there's people I know that are incredibly talented and could do anything they wanted or had a great job and gave it up to go play music. But those are, those are the exception rather than the the rule. Cause it's, it's, or, or the norm it's, um, most people who have a, a steady gig where they can support their family and be home and have a normal life, um, uh, you know, they may want to learn to play and have fun, but they're not going to go out and do a, a tour sleeping in the van. There's no reason, there's no need to for them. And, and that's just not a very appealing life. So there's just very few people that once you have it, and uh, that they go, that they give it up. Um, and that's one reason why I always feel I have gratitude for where I've been opportunities I have, but also that, that I didn't have a bunch of success early on because it's also really hard to, you know, if you have a big hit with your first record and you're rolling around in two tour buses and then five years later, you know, 10% of the people are showing up and you can't afford that. And now you got to go down to the, the minivan and that would probably be really tough. And a lot of people just give up at that point. Or you could just stay like we are and just embrace the minivan. Cause I think minivans are underrated personally, the well, double minivan sure. approach where like one part of the band can go one place and do their thing. The other band can stay at the venue and hang out with their friends and pack up merch. That's sort of been our approach for years. Yeah. And it's great. Except that right now renting cars, especially minivans or larger SUVs is really expensive and hard. Yeah. <laughs> because the microchip shortage or something from China. Yeah. Well, I drove a minivan for seven years to tour and two of them, uh, a Ford Windstar, Oprah Windstar is what I called it. And a tree landed on one. And then, so I bought the exact same vehicle used, <laughs> um, and did that. And then I had a 15 passenger, um, which to me was a huge upgrade. It was awesome. And then about 10 years ago, I got a sprinter and been driving that. And I just sold it today. Actually, I just found out today that it was sold. Um, and yeah, I'm going out on tour in two weeks and I'm running, I'm running two Suburbans. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, I, it was, uh, I had a bus lined up for the first time in my career. I was going to take a bus and then, um, the pandemic just kind of <laughs> made that not financially a good decision. So I, I put, I gave it back and, and, uh, just going to rent some cars, but yeah, I mean, the point is wherever you're at, it's, it's easier to, for those, to see those incremental upgrades and go, okay, right. I'm a little bit, I feel a little better now and a little better now, a little better now than to have all the success in the world. And then it just disappear. And, and you have to deal with that reality. Okay. I'm going out, but, um, my career is on the, the trajectory is the wrong way. And, and maybe creatively, I got used to certain things because I had all the success and I played to that. And now the, now those fans are gone and I'm left with nothing. I don't have the creative thing. I don't have whatever. So the, the beauty of not having hits or not having fans is you do your own thing and you can, you, you, you can be true to yourself. And then when people come to that, they're, they're there for the right reasons. And, and it's, um, uh, it, you know, it can be a tough slog, but it, but there's, uh, there's an integrity to that, I think, and, and, and a value to that. I can see you <laughs> working a late shift at Red Lobster, a little beaten down, trying to like keep your creative flow going, writing a song like She Left Me for Jesus, <laughs> like in the back break room <laughs> or something. <laughs> you know, the idea of this like woman telling you, you know, I found this perfect man, you know, 
He's ripped. He's <laughs> just really like got a great smile. And great cheekbones. Got his whole yeah. life figured out. His name is Jesus. <laughs> We've been dating since high school. We never once left this town. We used to go out on the weekends. I am would drink till we drown. But now she's acting funny. And I don't understand. I think that she's found some other man. She left me for Jesus. And that just ain't fair. She says that he's perfect. How could I? It's like a great country line, honestly, like country music hook. But again, would that be accepted on the Nashville uh, Power 100, whatever? God, probably not. Absolutely (laughs) not. No. But it did find a home, you know, in in a lot of different places. And and, uh, it's funny that, that when that song came out, She Left Me For Jesus, it was my first release. I, I... I signed a major label deal or with with Lost Highway Records, who was part of Universal, and the two records before that had been sort of independent releases. Um, and so now all of a sudden I'm on this label with Willie Nelson and Ryan Adams and Lucinda Williams and and Elvis Costello and Van Morrison and I love it like all these heroes. It was incredible, and I felt a lot of pressure um, and made this record and then the first song that comes out is, is she loved me for jesus and itunes this is an 07 i think I mean, itunes was a huge deal that was kind of where everybody was going for their digital right. music and they had, used to have this thing called the free giveaway or song of the day giveaway or, where they would pick a song for the week and it was free there was a free preview and and it was a huge coup um and we got it for she loved me for jesus and the record label was, was ecstatic. And I went and listened to the clip. They played a 15 second clip or 10 second clip. And that all that <laughs> it was, was if I ever find Jesus, I'm kicking his ass. No context, <laughs> you know, no getting the joke or the satire um, or the setup. And that was it. And and the whole world's listening to this thing. And, and I thought, oh, this is gonna be bad. She left me for Jesus. And it turned out it was the lowest rated song in the history of the iTunes giveaway. <laughs> it had like a one star <laughs> rating because everybody, millions of not only country fans, but like hip hop fans, everybody that, you know, listen to music, that's where you would go. And they're just like one star, one star, one star. Um, so anyway, but it, it did go on to turn a lot of people and made me, uh, found me a lot of champions and people that, they really appreciated what we were trying to do 
and um, and help spread the word. So I have a mixed uh, kind of relationship with that song because I, it is campy and it's parody and, and I didn't want to be identified. I didn't want that to be my dead skunk in the middle of the road or up against, up against the wall, Redneck Mother or this song that I could not live down. Um, and I was really afraid of that. Um, and so I put it 14th on the record and I didn't play it live. <laughs> And I was trying to do everything to not be identified with it. But uh, at the end of the day, it brought a lot of people into the camp and, 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 and turned people onto what I do. And, and, and um, so I'm grateful for it. But uh, I remember writing it and Ray Wiley Hubbard said to me, he said, Hey, once you get, once the cat's out of the bag, it's real hard to get back in. And uh, <laughs> um, I just, I was afraid that it would, it would take on a life. Um and, and I would have to carry that, which is a weird thing to put out music and hope that people don't love it. Uh, but with that one song, I, I sort of had that feeling about it. Well, I think songs we write become bigger than us, right? They become entities in the world that. Yeah, you don't have control over them. Once fall they're out there, yeah. hate, they have relationships with this music, right? Yeah. And, um, I've always had this struggle with our group Dust Bowl Revival in writing fun, like punchline songs with like maybe cheesy or goofy, crude type lines, right? This song with a lampshade on, we wrote years ago about just getting drunk and putting a lampshade on your head and going crazy at a party, sort of became like this mascot that we couldn't control. Uh -huh. it, had, it had a dance move. People would bring <laughs> lampshades to every show. Like little kids are singing it. It's about like getting blackout drunk, which I've never done in my life. But right. we wrote it as a joke. Most of the guys in the band were like, can we just never play this song again? But it would crush so hard as the finale that we yeah. like had to do it, you know? Yeah. And now we kind of bring it back as like a medley within another song as like an ironic, like wink or something. Yeah. And it feels great. Like, it feels like, Hey, this is like something you wrote years ago that means something to people. It's about letting loose and just being who you are, you know, mm -hmm. and let that be enough. You know, maybe you don't have to judge yourself so harshly, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, I, I, I know I've, took myself very seriously and and i think there was just a real fear of something like that like i yeah i love silly goofy songs like i said i love humor but i also love the way that towns could move me i love the way that uh willie nelson could articulate a feeling i loved the way that the the stories pine told or the perspective they put on life and i I wanted to be able to do all those things. Well, jumping ahead, you know, you've been doing this for, you know, two decades. There's a certain maturity, a certain uh, acceptance that I think I can hear in your music now. Um, the new record, You Get It All, uh, was produced by Kenny Greenberg and your wife, uh, Allison Moore, who's an amazing musician in her own right. Um, and I think there's a real uh, depth and, and kind of... Uh, slowness to some of the songs like a slow burn where you're not trying to observe everything passing your window right it's like honing in on an idea like in the song different boats for example which i think is my favorite track on this um 
it feels like a lost Pink Floyd number for me. This sort of funky drone guitar line and the idea that some people are going one way, some people are going the other way, and we're both going to get to the same place in our own sweet time. Kind of reminiscent of what Robert Plant has done in his later years um, with Alison Krauss. This synthesis of, I think, blues and folk music and having these very deep ideas about where we end up in life, where we go when we die, maybe, you know, will we be judged on the other side? And, you know, we're all on the same river. We just are getting to the end at different points. Some stay in the shallow, some get in the deep, some are slow and lazy, others up a creek, others up a just sort of came uh it was the first one of the first songs i wrote with my wife um we were taking a trip to nashville to, to, i can't remember why but uh we just kind of started an exercise of i think i was lamenting not writing much and we said well, let's just write a song today and make it happen and so we started it and and uh, i don't even remember how it originated but that idea of of um yeah, we are all on the same trip. You know, we just have different ways of getting there. Um, and, you know, I'll try not to judge yours and you try not to judge mine and let's just not be assholes to each other. We're all gonna die. Um, might as well be good, but have fun and, and uh, you, you know, fill in whatever you want into there. But the the, the river is the metaphor for life and, and, um, and we're all on that river uh, until we're not. And, but yeah, the, you mentioned the, the sort of the pace and the slowness of it and when i listen to this record to me that's the noticeable thing is is with the exception i think of one song um most of the things are are very calm and i don't mean like there's a there's an energy and there's an excitement but the pace of those songs for me as a singer i'm i'm surprised i've been playing them live lately in the band every time we go we start and we're like whoa this is too fast and we have to slow down and slow down and what i realize is that that in the studio, we really um, came in with a, a confidence and, and some space allowed these songs to breathe. And so there's still an energy there, but but the, those lyrics just can live there and stand. And I don't have to Chuck Berry it like I did in my earlier days. I would always, you know, the rapid fire, and I just got to get as many noises and sounds and words in here as I can and not let people have a minute to think. Um, I, I think there's a confidence that comes with having done it for that many years, made that many records. Um, and working with Kenny and Allison, they really kind of reminded me of that. Like, you know, I, I was singing well. I think this is the best I'm, I've ever sung on a record. And, um, and I feel like the songs are really strong. So just letting that be enough.
there's a an old anecdote which i don't know if it's true or not but uh and i, I don't know what the cursing situation is on this please curse okay um uh carol k the the famous bass player uh uh, the wrecking crew wrecking crew uh saw i can't remember who it was but but some, saw somebody playing guitar and they're just you know a million notes just <laughs> got to get it all in there right and afterwards she sees the guy she says kid i hope you don't fuck like you play guitar <laughs> you know i th- i think when you're younger the the ten- or at least for me the tendency is to to show all your tricks at once. And uh, uh, I, I don't feel the need to do that as much um, these days. So um, um, I, I appreciate the pace of the record. It feels more confident to me. You wrote a song uh, with Josh Morningstar called Help Me Remember on the new record about Alzheimer's and dementia and people sort of slipping away from their family and their loved ones. Um, have you experienced that uh, in your own life and and how did you decide to tackle that really tough subject? Yeah, I, I have, um, my grandfather, my my father's father started to show signs of it before he died. Uh, fortunately he passed before it became completely debilitating. Um, but I, I was 14 or 15, I uh, was with him in Waco, Texas, where he lived, and um, there were two incidents that that stood out to me. One was um, he he was a really sweet, loving, friendly guy, uh, but he was just being real critical of me one day and 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 not kind. And I remember my dad telling me, he said, "Don't remember your grandfather this way. This is not who who he was. Right. He's he's struggling." And um, and and then the second instance was uh, we were driving in his pickup through town and I was not, I didn't live in Waco. I was just visiting uh, from Houston and, and we came to a stoplight and it turned green and he asked me where we were. And I was, I, was, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like I, I, I don't know where we are. And it, 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 he had lived in this place for, uh, most of his life right and um and just it just had disappeared on him he didn't know where he was and it was really scary um he passed about a year after that i say baby i'm scared and i'm not sure i know who i am can you help me remember who it is that i used to be Can you tell me the story of my family, my hopes and my dreams? Did I try to stand for something? Would I always fold? Did I do things when I was young to be proud of when I was old? Was I a house on fire or was I just a slow burning ember? Could you please? Help me remember. You know, your witness of your life. Like we all go through life and, and our friends die, our family dies. And the people who saw you at your best, they saw you during your triumphs and your peaks and your lows. 
and they know that story those people are you know some people don't have those people and some people have lots of them but they they disappear over time and so i was thinking about to a to a partner to a spouse somebody who's having a hard time remembering their own story and and um just how important it is to have that person who can who can remind you because at a certain point you know your kids are your kids and that's one thing but they're never going to know what it was like to fall in love with their mom or to um you know to have your 20s or 30s or or what it was like to be a parent to them or um there's certain things that only your partner can know or only your really close friends that were there in that time of life can know and uh so i wanted to write a song about um that and ended up thinking it reminded my grandfather and and making about someone who's who's losing the thread and, and having a hard time remembering their own life and and pleading with their their spouse to 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 fill in those blanks for them help me remember i need you to help me remember i want to take us out with a, a song that uh, you wrote with brandy clark called uh, in the meantime i think it Maybe it was a tough song to write just about how we can really damage the people around us without knowing it. I was thinking about my own marriage and and I know a lot of people have probably have this is, is you can be having the best of times and then something can happen and you can end up in the ditch and, and, um, and we have our traumas, you know, that's, we, we have our triggers and our scars and our, are things that um, when that gets triggered, it can, you know, it can, our defenses go up and we're not empathetic or loving or open. We're scared and wounded and, and defensive. And, uh, and some real damage can be done to, to people that you love. Um, And, and that can be a really scary time. And, and just to, you know, kind of, can hang on and pray and hope you get through it. Um, but uh, so that was the idea was just, I was just thinking about that and and trying to articulate it in a, in a, in a song. And I had that, that hook, that title in the meantime, the two separate words, like, which was a, a trick that I always love from country music uh, often is like on the other hand, or, or uh, there's some great classic country songs. So yeah, it was, it was, I took that to Brandy, just that idea. And, and um, she's an incredible songwriter. I'm a huge fan of hers. And, and we started working on it. It took a while. It was one of those that, that um, we started writing it and, and then took a year off and then got back together and, and finished it up. And originally I was just thinking about it being one person song, but then I thought, well, I've written this with a, not only is she a great songwriter, but she's a fantastic singer and an artist. Why don't we see if we can make it a duet? And um, uh, so I invited her, and she, she uh, fortunately, she said yes and came in and sang it. The good times we've had, the smiles and the laughs are the pictures that fill up these frames that hang in the halls and cover the walls. 
spend our days And most times those good times Are the times that we're in And even the tough times We'd walk through again But in the meantime The holler and scream time The crush all your dreams time The can't hardly breathe time When faith gets forgotten So it was one that was, it, it, it took some time, but it was a fun thing to craft. I mean, even though it was kind of challenging subject matter, it was something I felt like I knew well, and I knew what what I wanted to say. It was just a matter of crafting it to, to get it to say that thing, um, which I think we ultimately did. All right, let's say you can make one last album before you die, but you have the ability to do a duets record with five people dead or alive at any point in history, who would those five duets be with? Oh man. That's uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and throw Willie on the list. Uh, I would love to uh, sing or have song with, with Willie Nelson. I think that would have, would be, um, uh, I just would love to have that experience. Um, boy, duets are, I don't know. I have artists I love, but whether, you know, would, would Townsend and I do great singing on a record together? Probably not. <laughs> so, this is a fantasy uh, you, question. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I got to take it all literally. Um, you know what? The, this is sort of a wild card in a recent edition, but I went two nights ago and saw uh, Gregory Allen Isaacoff and, and Patty Griffin do a show. Mm. And, if you'd asked me going into that, uh, I'm a big Patty fan and 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 that just one of America's great voices. Uh, but there was something about Gregory's show that just triggered me. I've got this whole batch of songs that I've been working on that I just have voice memos on and just some ideas. And I saw him singing and the way he set it up, I said, I want to do this record with him. I haven't told anybody this. I haven't even told my wife this, but so I'm just <laughs> telling you right now. And uh, and I, I got to figure out a way to pitch it to Gregory and 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 prepare myself for rejection. But um, there's something about the way he plays and and sings that I, I thought this would be a really cool project. And uh, um, and and I have all these ideas that uh, that I would love to to run by him and work with him on. It's all right, honey. It's all right. It's all right to be alone. Yeah, let's. Uh, I think Dylan and I need to do a duet. Um, uh, I think maybe uh, uh, Lucinda and I should have sang together on a record, Lucinda Williams. Um, and uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and throw uh, Bob Marley in there. Um, that would be a really 
weird uh, <laughs> pairing, but what the hell? And um, you, you can always bring back "No Woman, No Cry" at a drag show in Arkansas. You know, just go yeah. back and recreate that. Yeah, <laughs> I remember I played it once uh, for a friend, and and uh, I was probably twenty one, and she goes, "It's good, but you sound so white." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm not Jamaican. I'm Texan, um, and uh, uh, I don't know Ray Charles. Let's go Ray Charles, and that all. Right. I think that that gets me in a five, doesn't it? I would see that tour. <laughs> he wouldn't. <laughs> Touche. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, I'm really uh, excited for people to hear this new record, and. Uh, I appreciate you getting on the line with me here. Well, it's good talking to you. And uh, uh, I, I've been exploring your music as well. And I, I really appreciate the and enjoy what you guys do. So cool. um, I hope our, our, our paths cross on the road one of these days. All my tame and all my wild, all my man and all my child, all my faults and all my scars. All my sometimes lucky stars All my joys and my regrets All my old guy Clark cassettes I knew the night we met you get it all There you go. Big thanks to Hayes Carl for talking to me. You can go to HayesCarl.com That's Carl, C-A-R-L-L dot com. And uh, his newest record, You Get It All, is out now on Dual Tone Records. He has some really cool tour dates coming up if you're in Nashville, he'll be playing the Basement East with friend of the show Caroline Spence, November 18th, playing the Grand Ole Opry the 19th, the Bluebird the 20th, lots of cool stuff down there, and he'll be playing in Austin and in Lubbock and in Fort Worth, Houston, his hometown, very soon in December. So check it out, HayesCarl.com. If you head over to our mothership, thebluegrasssituation.com, you'll see that back on November 2nd, they did a really cool piece about his animated video for Nice Things, that is the rockin' country opener of the new record. In his own words, he says, We've been given the gift of a beautiful planet that most of us pollute without a thought and generally don't respect. We've criminalized things that grow naturally on it while pushing dangerous chemicals into our food, water, and medicine. These are things that uh, a mainstream country artist would not say, and that's why I love the country music that Hayes makes. As you can hear, my voice is still recovering from the two-and-a-half-week tour that my group Dust Bowl Revival just came back from. Please don't miss the final two shows with our friend Smooth Hound Smith coming up December 2nd at the Musical Instrument Museum in Phoenix, Arizona, and December 4th, the homecoming show, The Troubadour, Los Angeles. It is almost sold out. Please get those tickets now. And last but not least, December 31st, New Year's Eve, we will be opening for Railroad Earth at the Fillmore Auditorium in Denver. Please check that out, dustbowlrevival.com for more. Look, if you dig this podcast or any podcast, really, what you can do to help us grow is tell your friends about us and leave us a review on the podcast's page on Apple. It really helps spread the word, and we'll have really cool new episodes coming next year, including my talk with Grammy winner Keb Moe and the amazing St. Paul and the Broken Bones. The showontheroad.com slash episodes for all our episodes going back three straight years. And if you go on our YouTube channel, you'll see entire unedited interviews with me talking to folks like Ani DeFranco. Indeed, I spend days making these conversations flow a little bit faster. But with Ani, I think it's actually worth it to see what she's saying in its entirety. She is brilliant, and it's worth watching. 
As always, The Show on the Road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupiton, with associate producer Taylor Kaufman. Stay safe, get vaccinated, and we'll see you on the trail. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.